Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. And today we're diving into a really important topic. It's one that I think about all the time. It's very near and dear to my heart, but it's honestly been really hard for me to compile it into a podcast episode. I'll be totally honest with you guys. This is my fourth time attempting to record this episode because so much nuance is required when we have this topic about eating healthy with our children. And the reason that I feel like it's just really, really hard to get the messaging right around this is because there are so many different pieces when it comes to trying to cultivate healthy eating with our kids. And I feel like when you look up things about this topic online, you're going to see so much different conflicting information. There's so much fear-mongering. There's so much judgment. There's so much mom-shaming. And it's also something I've always avoided staying away from online because I really feel like there's no way to do it right. Like someone is going to be angry with what you say. Someone's going to disagree with you. And also it's just, it's been really hard for me to take complex topics like this that I feel like really require a lot of nuance and break them down into a cute little social media post of like tips to eat healthy with your kids. I just feel like that does not really capture everything. So if you're listening to this, I hope that we can really dig deep into it today. And my goal with this is to really just help other moms out there who are similar to me, who are looking for balanced ways to incorporate healthy eating with their kids. If this speaks to you, I am so glad. Take any tips from this and implement them and let me know how it goes for you and your family. If this is something that does not resonate with you or the way that I think about this is totally different than the way you want to apply food to your family, that's also totally fine. Like really take what works for you, take what doesn't. I'll give my disclaimers before we get into it. Everything that I'm sharing here is as a mom who professionally works with adults in terms of helping them cultivate healthy habits and have healthy hormones and healthy blood sugar balance and all of those things. I don't work with children when it comes to nutrition. I do professionally have a lot of experience working with kids because I used to be an elementary school teacher and I taught kids in grades from first to sixth grade throughout my different years um, when I was a teacher. But I never worked with them in terms of nutrition. Like that was never something that I was doing. So I'm not giving advice here as a pediatric registered dietitian. This is not about if your kid has, you know, different struggles meeting their milestones on their growth charts or is God forbid suffering from some sort of illness or allergies. Like that's not what this is about. If your kid has any kind of health issues in that sense, you should definitely be seeking out advice and personalized advice. Like you should be working one-on-one -on -one with someone who is a pediatric registered dietitian. That's not what this is in this episode. Um, so that's my disclaimer before we get into it. And when it comes to thinking about eating healthy with kids, I will say this is also something that I was thinking about from the time I got pregnant because in my own personal journey, I very much had this experience where I had never struggled with an eating disorder. I always had a very positive relationship with food. I loved food. I very much identify as a foodie in the sense that like, I just love food. I wake up excited to eat every day. I love looking forward to meal times. I love connecting to people through food. I love food that tastes good. I like to be a little bit extra with my food. I like to go gourmet as much as I can. And I had also had this experience where I felt like I was eating really unhealthy foods and it had made me really sick in a lot of ways. Like I wasn't having regular periods and I couldn't get pregnant. I had eczema and anxiety and insomnia and all these things. And when I changed the way I was eating to eating healthier, I got so much healthier and I felt so much better. And there was definitely this 
sense. I mean, I remember even before I got pregnant, my plan was always like, I'm just doing this until I get pregnant. And then I'm going to go back to eating the way I did before. But because I felt so good and because I also felt like eating this way enabled me to get pregnant, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess it up or I don't want to do anything to harm my pregnancy. There was almost this fear of like going back to the way that I had been eating beforehand, which if you're new to this podcast, you could go back and listen to my first episode where I really talk about my whole journey. But I was eating basically junk food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I wasn't eating a lot of nutrient-dense foods or like really any nutrient-dense foods on a regular basis. And I was fine with that at that time. But when I was pregnant, I was like, wait, you know what? I'll just, I'll wait until I have the baby. And then after I give birth, that's when I'll go back to eating the way that I did, which never really happens because I ended up just getting used to feeling really good. And my body did not like it when I would try to reincorporate lots of high sugar foods and fast foods and things like that. So Anyways, fast forward to when I gave birth. Obviously, when you have a newborn baby, they're not really eating food. All they're having is milk or formula. And I was breastfeeding my daughter when she was born. And I still very much was in this mindset of like, I got healthy by eating healthy. And I don't ever want to be in that place where I feel sick again. And I never want to bring that sort of struggle onto my daughter. Like I was already thinking and projecting almost 20 25 years into the future. Like I want her to have healthy hormones and her to never struggle through fertility issues. And the way that that manifested was I wanted to learn as much as I could about how you could basically get as much nutrient-dense food into your child as possible. So that looked like breastfeeding for the first six months and then starting solids. And when it came to starting solids, it was really intentional. We weren't doing a lot of the classic uh, rice crackers and teething crackers and things like that. I was giving her liver. That was, I think, her first food. Or maybe her first food was avocado. And the second one I gave her was liver because I really wanted her to get used to eating, you know, foods of different textures and tastes and not just having sweet things, but lots of, you know, also banana and sweet potatoes, like real whole nutrient-dense foods. Um, We did lots of soups and I would cook everything in bone broth. Like I was very, very intentional about making sure she had very nutrient-dense foods. We also saw that when we sent her to Gan and they started feeding her in Gan, she would literally come back throwing up when they gave her food. That was like, you know, they were overall, I would say, eating somewhat healthy. Like they weren't just giving them candy and junk food as babies, but, you know, they would give them a lot of pasta or a lot of corn, like things that are just not typically so easy for babies to digest. And she would come home throwing up. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm not, I I really didn't want to bring my own way that I felt like I had to feed my kid into gone. Like I wanted to say, if you're, if I trust you to take care of my kids, you know, it's up to the the daycare to decide what they're going to feed my kids. And I trust them. Um, but she was coming back, like throwing up the first four days that they were giving her food. So I started sending food to gone for her and they were basically just feeding her my home cooked food. And I kept going back and forth with like, you know, I don't want to be this crazy mom who's putting all these things on her. But at the same time, like I can't deal with her throwing up every day. And they were calling me. I had to leave work early to pick her up. And so that's kind of like just the rhythm that we got into. And I would say this was all going on until she was maybe like 15, 16 months. And at that point, remember, you know, she was a baby. She started communicating with us what she wanted more or less at like 16 months maybe. But until then, it's not like she really had a lot of opinions on what she wanted to eat. It's not like she would come home and ask me, mommy, I want a cookie or a cake. Like babies don't do that. They don't have the language capability. I don't even know if their brain is like thinking of all the options of what foods are out there. So for the first, I would say good chunk of my journey in motherhood, it was very much like I will feed her whatever I decide is the healthiest. And I kind of felt like that is my, you know, that's my mindset around food with my kids. And as my daughter started developing more language and as things were just evolving, I felt like that strategy was like, okay, this, this works for that, that period of time. It's not really going to work in the future because we started noticing that people were making all of these comments, like we'd be around family or friends and they would say things like, oh, you know, have you ever given her ice cream or cake or sugar? And I would say, no, like she's a baby. Why would I need to give her that? She doesn't ask for it. We don't have a lot of it at home. She doesn't see me eating it. So it's not like something that she's even, you know, she's requesting. And then people would say things like, okay, well, don't worry. Like, Eden, when you're older, we're going to sneak you out and take you out for ice cream. And I was like, why would you say that to my toddler. Like, what are you talking about? You don't need to sneak her out and do anything. I would rather 
you give her ice cream every single day of her life than her ever think she needs to sneak and hide food from me. And I remember talking to a colleague of mine about this issue of like, how do we raise healthy kids who know about how to take care of their bodies and really honor their bodies through healthy nutrition when there's also so much out there about diet culture and then other people are saying these weird things like, oh, don't worry, we're going to sneak you brownies and ice cream and cookies because your mom won't let you have them. Even though I was like, that's not really true. I mean, at that point, you know, she was again, like under a year and a half, I wasn't giving her those things. Um, but I was just having a lot of struggles with this. And I remember I had a colleague that I spoke to about it who said, this is probably one of the hardest things I've dealt with is I feel like no matter what I say and how balanced I try to be, other people will say really inappropriate things to my child and there's nothing I could do about it. And this was someone who had much older kids. Like I think her kids were teenagers already. So she said her teenage daughter who could be, I don't know how old she was, maybe like 15, 16, could be at a friend's house and reach for a brownie at dessert. And someone could make a comment like, oh, don't worry, we won't tell your mom you're eating a brownie. And this is to a 16-year-old who's already dealing probably with so much pressure. Like being 16 is not easy in terms of anything, the way that you view your body and your decisions around what you do. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I really, like, I don't want to invite that into my children's lives. But I also realized there's only so much I could do in terms of protecting them from what other people say or do. So I wanted to get really clear for myself on what my goals were for my family when it comes to their relationship with food and health and nutrition. And I really sat down and thought about this. And something that also influenced me was I read the book Good Inside by Dr. Becky Kennedy. I'm sure if you're a parent, I feel like you've heard of her. Dr. Becky is really famous on Instagram. And her book, I'm not such a big fan of parenting books. I'm a big believer in like, do what you want to do intuitively. We know as moms what's best for our kids. But One of my friends convinced me to read the book. She kept telling me like, Lauren, you're going to love it. You have to read it. Shout out, you know who you are, who convinced me to read it if you're listening to this. And I do feel like it equipped me with a lot of really good scripts and tools to implement things that already felt intuitive to me. And she has a whole chapter on feeding your kids. And she talks about how so many moms especially feel like feeding their kids is this direct reflection of our whole entire parenting ability. Like if you're able to literally sustain your kid through food, you're like, yes, I did it. I got them to eat dinner and you feel so successful. And like, I'm doing a good job as a mom. And then when they refuse all the food, you're like, I I can't even feed my kid. And you feel so terrible. And there's so much stress around eating. And also then on top of that, not just eating, but like trying to get them to eat healthy. There are so many pieces to it that can be really confusing. And one of the things she talks about in the book is this is just in general about parenting it's really, really hard to do a job when you don't know what your job description is, that you shouldn't ever get hired for a job where they don't give you a really clear description of what you need to do for the company. You know, if you are a data analyst, I have no idea what that means, but like your task should be A, B, and C, and this is the project that you have to complete every month or whatever. Like if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing as your job, how are you supposed to do it? And how can you do a good job for that matter? And so she's very intentional about defining what is the job of a parent. And I'm not going to go into her whole theory here. I think she talks about, you know, it's safety and establishing like emotional resiliency for your kids and doing that through boundaries and all this stuff. But that's not really the point of this episode. I think the point that I took from that was it's true. How are we supposed to actually implement anything if we don't know what our job is and what the end goal should be? And so when I sat down and thought about this, I thought, what do I really want for my kids long-term? Not as babies, because, you know, this is a a really short phase. It flies by this baby phase. And me being really controlling about what they eat up until a year and a half, like that's not necessarily going to equip them with skills to make healthier choices in the long term. And so when I thought about this really intentionally, I thought my goal is for my kids to have a healthy relationship with food where they can make healthy choices in the long term and they don't feel restricted. They have a positive, healthy relationship with food. I don't want them to feel stressed around food. I don't want them to feel any fears around food. And I really think like the worst thing that I could ever envision is God forbid my kids would ever, ever develop an eating disorder. I honestly think it is more dangerous and it is worse than probably any chronic illness that could develop from diet and lifestyle. And I say this as someone who was diagnosed with diabetes 
I don't even really identify with it so much because mine is so well under control and I have multiple family members who are diabetic and most of us, not all of us, but most of us are pretty on top of managing that. Um, some naturally through diet and lifestyle, some also through medication. But like, I see a lot of people with diabetes who are living totally normal, happy, healthy, content lives and also managing their diabetes. Same thing with PCOS. I see so many women, even though it can be very painful and throughout your fertility journey, I don't want to belittle those things. But when you see someone who's battling an eating disorder, like they're not also thriving and battling an eating disorder. It completely takes over your life. It can be fatal. I think it's actually the number one fatal mental illness. I could be wrong, but I I think that's a statistic that I've seen before. And I just need to put this out there. There is not a single food out there that has been approved by the FDA that is as dangerous as an eating disorder. I'm going to say it again because I think this is really important for moms to take in. There is no food that is as dangerous as an eating disorder is. I mean, maybe if your kid has like a life or death allergy. Okay. That's not what we're talking about here. But even, you know, the candy with the largest amount of sugar and high fructose corn syrup and artificial dyes, that will never be as dangerous as an eating disorder. And so when I got really clear on like, okay, that's my goal, I would like to also, in addition to trying to not have my kids develop an eating disorder, also encourage them to make healthy choices. But I've always been really impacted by the idea that like when we're able to really clearly outline our priorities, it helps us with making really clear decisions. So when I was like, okay, that's the number one priority. Second to that is that hopefully they enjoy healthy food and have a positive, healthy relationship with nutrient-dense foods. That comes second. And so once I was able to outline that, I was like, okay, now I can get clear on making an action plan and think about the different ways that I can hopefully try to, you know, help guide my kids through this journey of life with the end goal of having a healthier relationship with food. And so I want to share with you the eight things that I intentionally do with my family in order to cultivate what I hope is going to be a really healthy relationship with food for the long term. I will say I'm not perfect with any of these things, but I try my best and I hope that this can help you and your family too. So I'll get into them and I'll just start off by saying the main thing that I do in terms of these eight different things is we're putting a lot of our energy and focus into having a good relationship with healthy foods, a lot less energy into not having unhealthy foods because I think when you put a lot of energy around restriction, that's what kids focus on. And when you don't put so much energy on that, it's much easier to actually enjoy eating healthy foods. So let's just get into it. I'll start with the first one, which is exposure. Having exposure to anything increases the chance that you're going to be more likely to want that thing. So we've seen this in research on all sorts of different topics. There's this really interesting study that's been done on friendships where people tend to be really good friends, not with people who necessarily have the same interests as them, but the people that they have the most exposure to. So the kid who was in your class every year or your neighbor, or I think in college they talk about it's like people who lived on your floor in your dorm building. Like just having exposure to things increases the chance that you're going to like something. Same thing with music. I always give my clients this example, right? When you hear a song on the radio a million times, you start to like it just because you've been exposed to it so many times. And so I try to apply this with food. We have a lot of exposure to nutrient-dense foods without talking about it all the time. It's just like there. So when you walk into our kitchen, we have this whole cart. Part of this is also practical. This is where we store a lot of our root veggies and fruits, but there's a cart that is within arm's reach that my kids can reach that has bananas and apples and just different kinds of fruits and veggies that they could always reach for if they come into the kitchen and they're hungry. That's the first thing they're going to see. When you open up the refrigerator on the kid's eye level, you see yogurts and cottage cheese and grapes and different types of also like real whole nutrient dense foods. So that's just kind of what's available. There are also other things that we don't have exposure to in the house. Like there's just things that I don't put on my shopping list that I feel like will not be great for my kids to have have a lot of exposure to. Some of this is also just like practical in terms of what me and my husband eat. So things like cereal happens to be, if you know, you know, like cereal in Israel is really expensive. And it used to be that like you couldn't even find any of the good American cereals here. So when I moved to Israel, I used to really love cereal. I was like a Reese's Puffs and life 
not cinnamon life, regular life kind of girl. And I ate cereal all the time. But then when I moved here, you couldn't find those here. So I kind of stopped eating cereal just because like, again, exposure, I didn't have the exposure to it here. Then a few years after I moved here, they did start importing a lot of the cereals, but I don't remember how much these things cost in America, but here they're really expensive. Like a box of cereal could be $10. So just from like a practical perspective, we stopped eating a lot of cereal. And also the culture here is you kind of eat like cottage cheese and cut up cucumbers and tomatoes and eggs, yogurt. That's like a very Israeli style breakfast. And so we kind of also apply that in our home. We just have a lot of exposure to nutrient-dense foods. And no matter what we're serving for dinner, there's always going to be some kind of veggie or fruit or natural food on the table. I'm not constantly telling my kids, and I should really say it's my daughter because my son at this point, he's 10 months old. He's just like, you know, we're still feeding him. He's in the high chair. He does eat solid foods, but it's, again, it's very different with babies. But in terms of what my toddler's doing, we just, we have the exposure there without talking about it so much. It's just kind of like there in the background and she's used to seeing normal healthy foods. And the way that I know exposure really does work is because whenever we go travel to America, just a month ago, we were by my parents and there someone's having cocoa pebbles for breakfast every single day. So when my daughter would see like, oh, you know, we would buy yogurt and at home, maybe she'll have like yogurt with chia seeds for breakfast. She likes to pour them onto her yogurt. That's fun for her. But then when we were there, she saw someone eating cocoa pebbles every day. So she would ask for cocoa pebbles every day. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to tell her no when other people around her are eating them. I really feel like that is just setting setting kids up for disaster. Um, but then when we got home, she stopped asking for it because she just knew like we don't have that here. And there's going to be a time where my kids do realize, wait, they do sell all the American cereals here in the supermarkets. Um, we haven't gotten there yet. But again, it could just be one of those things that like, okay, we just don't have it so often in the house. So that's not what they're used to eating. And it's kind of just a habit that we have different foods for breakfast here. So the first is the exposure. Um, the second thing that we do is that we try to have very intentional rules about what the rules are around food and what they're not around food, which I feel like is very vague. So let me explain. This is also something that I've heard from Dr. Becky and Good Inside. I've heard it from Intuitive Eating, but there's this concept called DOR, and it stands for Division of Responsibility. And Division of Responsibility basically outlines what is the job of the parent at the meal versus the job of the child. And the job of the parent is to decide the what, when, and where of the meal, meaning what is served, when is it being served, and where is it being served. And the job of the child is to decide if they want to eat and how much to eat. And that was something that also just took so much pressure and so much stress off of me when I realized my job is not actually getting the food into my child's body. That's their job. That is something that they have to do. They have to learn how to do that. That's a skill that they will need for the long term. My job is to provide the food and put it on the table and decide when and where we're eating because that's something that I can say every single day. Yeah, I could do that. I can totally make sure that we have a meal ready for dinner. And then if my kid doesn't want it, okay, I still did my job. That's not my my thing to worry about. And this is so helpful for so many moms who get stressed around mealtime. I know a lot of my clients have talked to me about this. They're like, I really want my kids to be eating healthy. I get so stressed. Sometimes they will skip dinner altogether. And like, I just, I know how important it is. And I know the stress is coming from a good place. I really do. Like I get it. I know that feeling of, I just want my kids to be healthy because I know how good it feels for me when I eat healthy. Also, I have a toddler and I can definitely see the patterns of you know, the tantrums and not sleeping well and not behaving as well when she's hungry or having a blood sugar crash. Like I see those things too. At the same time, again, like me trying to overly control it and force feed her if she doesn't want to eat will not help her develop that long end term goal of having healthy skills to make healthy choices. Like just force feeding your kids is not going to do that. So I find the division of responsibility really helpful. And then I really do try to be strict around the idea of we eat our meals at the table. It's not on the floor. It's not on the couch. It's definitely not in our bedrooms. And when we are sitting, we're sitting together. There are no phones at dinner. I especially try at least with dinner. Like usually in the morning, it's a little bit hectic. We're not necessarily all eating together. We do feed our kids usually a little bit before we take them to daycare. Um, but my husband and I are not necessarily always eating with them. But I really try for dinner. It's like a family meal. And I really want to cultivate 
just like, again, that feeling of connection and positivity around food and eating together. So that means that we're sitting down. This rule is more for the parents, but we really try to be off of our phones and have some kind of routine of what we're talking about. So right now, thank God we've actually got into a new stage where we can say, okay, everyone go around and say one nice thing about your day and maybe one hard thing about your day. Like, one thing that made you sad or that made you angry. It's a really nice way to also hear from my daughter the juice of what's going on in gone. And it's funny because one day I like really didn't have anything sad to mention, but I said, oh, you know, I, I, I had to find something. So I said, I went to the supermarket today and I tried to get a cart, but the cart was broken. It didn't even have a handlebar. So I had to get another cart. And and that was really sad that the the cart was broken. And you know, toddlers are just like, they're kind of weird. So she, I don't know why she fixated on that. And now every night at dinner, she asks me like, mommy, can you please tell me about the shopping cart that doesn't have the handles and how it made you so sad? And I'm just like, can we talk about something else? But in the past, we used to say, okay, you know, Eden, what do you want to talk about? And she would say numbers. So we would literally talk for like 30 minutes about the number two or the number seven. And it was like really, really cute the first time. And then by the third time, it was like, oh my gosh, we we just, I can't anymore. Like I only have so much patience to talk about the number seven. So anyways, all of that is to say, even though, you know, toddler conversation is not always the most interesting or stimulating for her, it really is. Like, I think she actually loves having these conversations with mommy and daddy. And the idea to her that dinner is a time where our family sits and we nourish our body. And this is how we start winding down and decompressing from the day is something that I really want to safeguard and protect. And I know that as kids get older, this is something that comes up a lot of like, okay, but they have homework and they have after school activities. And I can't speak to that stage of life yet because we're not there, but I've heard a lot of experts talk about just in terms of child's, uh, a child's mental health, how important it is to have dinner together. And if your kid is so busy with tutors or with gymnastics or sports or whatever, like we really do need to be creating that time and space at least you know, three, four times a week to be having family dinner together and to be, I don't know if strict is the right word. Maybe it is the right word to be strict about like we have dinner as a family together. It's not eating a granola bar in the car on the way to your after school activity. Like meals are really sacred. And that is something that I would say we try to be somewhat strict about the rules in terms of that. Um, For me and my husband who both have really like kind of crazy work hours, we could in theory be working all the time. And we used to be working literally all the time. And we really try now to safeguard. Like I don't book clients during five to seven because that we're not eating dinner that whole time, but that's like our dinner, bath time, bedtime hours. And sometimes we would do it that like I would take calls then and my husband would be with the kids or vice versa. And we would switch and we try to be really strict now. Like we're not doing that because we need to safeguard and protect eating our meals together. And it's our time with our kids. And listen, they're in daycare, like basically all day. That's our only time really with our kids and the morning we have with them, but it's kind of a disaster. So that's not where we're really getting our good bonding time. Okay. So that's the second thing is we're really intentional about those rules. We're also really intentional about not having rules around you need to finish what's on your plate. Again, this goes back to the DOR. That's not my job or responsibility. We don't have rules around you need to finish dinner in order to get dessert. Um, When it comes to picking the foods that are on our table, I will usually serve nutrient-dense foods because that's what I want to eat. And so, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, we never have things like pizza or pasta. We do, even though that's not necessarily what I'm eating for dinner. Um, And randomly, I'll be like, okay, if I'm in the mood for sweets, if I'm in the mood to make a mug cake or cookies or something, like there's nothing that I will eat that I wouldn't let my kids eat other than like obviously safety things, nuts and popcorn and stuff like that, that you can't give to a really tiny child. I'm not talking about that. But it's not like, oh, you know, if you're really good today and you finish eating your dinner super nicely, then you get a cookie. We don't do that. I want to take away that idea of like, you need to be good and get the reward of less healthy food and you can only earn it if you act really good. Like, I think that just causes a lot of weird stuff that I end up seeing. And a lot of the clients I work with who feel like they have these really complicated relationships with food and a lot of things with food are wrapped up in their self-worth. And I just want to separate those things. Like, The way that you behave has nothing to do with the food that you eat and your sense of being a good 
child or a good person should have nothing to do with the amount of food that you get to eat. So we don't have any rules around things like that. I do have rules around, you know, mommy decides what the food is and I'm not a cook that's just, you know, taking everybody's orders like we're at a restaurant. So sometimes my daughter will ask for things that I will just say, and this is another thing I got from Good Inside, I'll just say, that's not on the menu. And this is not code for that's not healthy. Like if she asks for cookies for dinner and I say, that's not on the menu. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, that's just not on the menu for dinner. But she's asked for other things like eggs, asparagus, chicken, like random things that I'll just say, "Mm, sorry, that's not on the menu. And there's no like, that's not healthy. That's not good for you. Your belly's going to hurt if you have that. Again, it's really not like this secret code for something isn't healthy. It's just like, it could be a convenience thing if we don't have it, if it will take a long time to cook, if I prepared something else and like that's just something that's going to take too long for me to make, it's just not happening. And I think that is totally okay. I think you're more than allowed to make sure that, you know, you're not driving yourself crazy by cooking everybody a different dinner. My daughter knows if she ever does not want what's for dinner, she can always have a yogurt. That's like basically her favorite food. And she probably does eat yogurt at least three nights a week for dinner if she doesn't want what we're making. Or even if she does like it, she also likes to have a yogurt. And I don't care if she asks for a yogurt. Great, fine, amazing. Um, But if she'll ask for something, whether it's healthy or not, that I'm like, that's just not part of the menu tonight. It's not your job to decide what to eat. It's my job. And meaning what to serve for dinner. This will also probably change as my children get older. And I would love as they get older for them to have more choice in the meal. Um, but right now, it's really between me and my husband. Okay. The third thing that we do to try to help cultivate a healthy, positive relationship with food is to try to reconnect to where food comes from in the hopes that this will really foster an appreciation for food. I also totally do this selfishly. I think it's really important for me. But we love going to the farms when things are in season and picking fresh fruits, fresh veggies. It's First of all, it's just like a good activity. You get to get outside and get your hands dirty and everything tastes so much better when you have it fresh. And especially in Israel, there are so many great places that you could go to pick berries and apples and all sorts of different things depending on the season. They have really nice cherry trees and just all sorts of great things here. That's always really fun. Kids love it. And again, it really helps them connect to this idea of where does food even come from? Especially nowadays, like we're just so used to opening up the fridge or opening up a package or even thinking food comes from the supermarket. But the idea of where does it actually come from? It comes from the grounds and it takes time and it needs rain and sunshine and all these different things. I think you have such a greater appreciation for food when you see where it really comes from. And kind of going along with that, we started this last year. We have to restart for this year, but we started a little home garden. And this is a really fun project to do with kids. I also remember doing this with my dad when I was young. We had a little vegetable garden in our backyard and we grew all sorts of things like cucumbers, zucchini, cherry tomatoes, eggplant. I actually think it ruins my relationship with a lot of vegetables because I remember having those things when they were so fresh and so delicious. I also had a raspberry bush in my backyard. And we would have these fresh raspberries. They were amazing. And then when I would eat anything from the store, I was just like, ew, this tastes disgusting because it's so not fresh. It, it's like the volume on flavor is dialed all the way down. And the stuff that's fresh is so it, – it's bursting with flavor. So we started a little home garden and we grew a couple of things last year that was – I would say we had like decent success. We grew rainbow Swiss chard, which was so fun because it's like hot pink and yellow. It's really fun to watch it grow in and it grows pretty quickly. We did strawberries. We did cherry tomatoes. We tried peppers. The peppers, I don't know what happened. We have to try again. They didn't, we never ate any peppers. Um, We did baby kale. We did a bunch of things that are hard for me to find in the supermarket and are relatively easy to grow. And I'll just add, we live in a little apartment. We do have a porch. We have like a nice little balcony outside. So that's where we do it. That does get sunlight. You don't need to have a huge house with a huge backyard. There are so many hacks online if you want to do it from your windowsill. And I really don't have a green thumb. Like I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to the garden. But I do know that the whole experience was so fun. We went to the nursery and I let my daughter pick out a little watering can. She picked out this orange watering can and she knew like this was her job every day. She had to water the plants or not every day. Maybe it was like every other day because that's what the the guy at the nursery told us to do. But we bought the dirt. 
or the soil. And we, you know, dug it out and put the seeds in. And it was like a whole project, which is also just so good for kids. There's actually research showing that when you get your hands literally in the dirt, it's good for your microbiome. Like the whole idea of interacting with the soil and interacting with the way that you grow food is something that humans have been doing for so, so long. And that in and of itself is a really healthy thing to do. So I love the idea of starting a little family garden. You could do it also with herbs. It's a great way to add in nutrient-dense foods to your meals. It makes them taste fresher. It makes them more beautiful when you add that little pop of green, if you have fresh parsley or green onion or something. And also kids are much more excited to eat it when you're like, oh my gosh, finally we can harvest our plant. Like let's take the little scissors and cut it and wash it. It's so much more exciting than if you just, you know, got it out of the refrigerator. So that's something that I really love to do when it comes to reconnecting to food. And another one is getting your kids involved in the cooking. I love cooking. So this is pretty easy for me. I want to share that love of cooking with my family. At the same time, especially with little kids, it's hard because it makes things take like five times longer. They get five times messier. But I do think it's so worth it. And I will say also my toddler has excellent fine motor skills. So she could really like mix and scoop. And she has a little child safe cutting board. She loves to cut up little cucumbers that I'll like up free cut them into little long sticks. And then she'll kind of dice them with her little knife and cutting board. And she just turned three, but she's been doing this for like, I don't know, since she was, I don't know, maybe two, two and a little bit. And she loves it. And then she'll put it into little cupcake liners. Like those are the little cups she'll put them in. And then she'll eat them just because she likes cutting them. And she knows I'm not going to let her just waste all the cucumbers. So she's like, okay, if I eat them, mommy will give me more. And so getting them involved in cooking is another great way to just increase their exposure to food and where it comes from and really just help them get excited about it. I think in general, people enjoy food more when they've cooked it. And they're like, I, I put in the work and I put in the effort and now I made something like just the whole creative process is also really nice. And again, it's just a really nice sensory friendly activity to do with kids. It helps you bond with them. So we really try to have a lot of those kinds of nice, good energy, good vibes around bringing food into our home and getting it ready to go on the table. Okay. The fourth thing that we do is we talk a lot about regulating our hunger and appetite by using language around how our bodies feel around food. So I will model this for my daughter. I'll be eating at the table. And then if I start to feel full, I'll say, oh, my belly is feeling full. That means that I'm going to take a break from eating right now. I'll wait a few minutes and then I'll see if I'm hungry. I'll reach for more food. If I'm full, that means my body is done and I can stop. And this is something that was so hard for me to do until I started my health journey. And I would say I, I still struggle with it sometimes. I actually feel like being a mom has brought so much more awareness about it because I try to model it for my kids because I was someone who used to just eat until the point where I was stuffed and my stomach hurt so badly. Like that's how I thought the meal was over. And now I really try to listen to my body much, much more because it's so much better for my digestion. And I feel so much better when I honor my fullness cues and my hunger cues and just try to help my kids realize that the way that we decide when we should eat or when we should stop eating has to do with what our bodies tell us. So also it could be the middle of the day. Maybe it's not a mealtime, but I might say, oh, I feel that my body's hungry. I'm going to go get a snack and then I'll go get something and I'll eat it. And if I say, oh, I feel so much better now. You know, I was feeling a little bit grouchy before or feeling a little tired, but I had this snack and now I'm feeling so much better. I'm really happy I had that. Like I want my children to understand that food is here to nourish us. It's here to give us energy. And when we can make that connection by talking about it in that way, I think it's really helpful for kids. And the most important piece of this, which I think can be really hard for a lot of moms, is you have to trust your kid. If you want them to learn how to trust their own body, you have to trust them. If they say, my belly's full, I don't want any, you have to listen to them. And that's so hard because I know sometimes you'll be like, I've seen you all day. You've barely eaten. What do you mean you're not hungry? Stop playing with your magnetiles. Like you need to come and eat now. You should be hungry. And the kid is saying, no, I'm, I'm not hungry. We have to teach our kids. They can trust their bodies. Again, it comes back to what is the long-term goal here? If the long-term goal is to set them up with the skills where they can make sure that they know how to make healthy choices around food 
and eat and have a healthy relationship with food, we need to teach them to trust their bodies. Now, I'll just, again, like insert my disclaimer. If your kid is struggling with their meeting their growth requirements or has something like ARFID or some type of other issue around food, maybe this is this advice is not applicable to you. But for the general public, for generally healthy children, I think it's so, so important to teach them these skills around regulation. And also, by the way, it goes the other way. If they keep saying they're hungry, even if you're like, I know you're not hungry. Especially, I see this happen a lot when there's, let's say, dessert on the table. Or if we go to a birthday party and there's cake and cookies and all sorts of what I would say are less nutrient-dense foods. I might ask my daughter, I'll like try to check in with her. Oh, hey, is your belly full? And she'll be like, no, even though I've seen, you know, she already had a whole piece of cake. And I'm like, okay, she wants more. I I have to trust her. I have to say, you know what? I know that you don't probably are not really still hungry, but like she says she's still hungry. I'll let her eat more. And there are many, many times when she does that and she does not feel good. She'll tell me later, mommy, I have a belly ache. Sometimes it's even happens. It's very, very clear. She's had like an insane amount of dessert and she's thrown up before, especially because it's not the way that we eat most of the time. I've seen it like, oh my gosh, the biggest example. I have to go on a tangent here. I'll just share this. This is like such a mom moment. Right after I had my son, I had him on a Shabbat. And then that next Friday, we had his Shalom Zachar. And that whole day, I was just like taking care of the baby. I was breastfeeding. I'm like, you know, trying to come back to being a human because, you know, very freshly postpartum. And other people were watching my daughter all day, like her grandparents, her aunts, her uncles. I wasn't really with her the whole day. We were preparing and getting ready for a Shabbos bris. It was really, really crazy. And then that night at the Shalom Zachar, there was like all sorts of whatever it was catered. And there was all sorts of like fancy desserts and all this. I don't even know what there was, like candies and this and that. And all day, literally all day, she had been being bribed because we had to get her ready for this and get her ready for that. And we were taking pictures and like, I wasn't even involved, but other people just like kept giving her stuff. And then it was, she was also up really late. It was maybe like 10.30 PM. She normally went to bed around, I don't know, like 7.38. And they brought out more dessert. There was this like pink, sherbet looking like cake pop type of thing. I think that's what it was. I think it was like a cake pop and it was dipped in this hot pink icing. And then I was like, oh, I want that. I want that. And I was like, I really think we're done. Like you have been eating junk all day. Like we're just, we're done. We're done. And she lost it. She was so overtired. She was so hyped up on sugar. She started screaming in the middle of the Shalom Zachar. Again, I told you guys, I am not perfect with this stuff. And this was just a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I was losing it. And I'm like, I I just, I can't deal with this. Like I have to go to sleep. I'm going to be up in an hour probably to feed the baby. Like I just, we we have the bris tomorrow morning. I have to get to shul. It was crazy. Whatever. Just eat the thing. I don't care anymore. And then we finally get to bed after a very long night. And then, you know, I'm feeding the baby throughout the night. And then at 4.30 in the morning, I hear her screaming and I go into her room and she is just like throwing up hot pink everywhere. And I was so mad. I'm like, I just had a baby and the bris is in four hours. And like, now I have to deal with her throwing up because other people were giving her junk food all day. And like, I was so, so annoyed about it. And there was this part of me that was like, I should have put a stop to it. I shouldn't have let all this stuff be there. And I was like really beating myself up about it. And then just like, again, because, you know, this is real life that you don't always see And like the cute pictures that I posted after my son was born on social media, my husband was like, I really have to go to shul and get ready for the bris and meet the mohel. And I was alone for the first time with the two kids. Like this was my first time as a mom of two being alone with them. This was probably at like 7.30. We're trying to get my daughter dressed. We finally got her dressed. We bought this beautiful, like beautiful, beautiful dress for the bris. I'm nursing the baby. My husband leaves and like I'm holding the baby in my left hand. And then I see my daughter start to do like the gag situation and in my right empty hand, I'm just catching her vomit. As I'm holding the baby in one hand, I'm catching vomit in the other. I'm still like freshly postpartum. So I'm like covered in milk and covered in blood. And I'm just like every single kind of bodily fluid is on me right now. I've never felt more disgusting in my life. And like I need to be up dressed and at shul in like 45 minutes. And it was just whatever. It ended up getting done. Honestly, it was a pretty traumatizing day, but whatever. I'm clean now. And We've moved past it. But the whole point of that was from that experience, there was like a lot of anxiety for me around the junk food and then feeling like I'm the one that's left dealing with it. And I was kind of annoyed. Like I am already running on no sleep. Why do I have to deal with a kid throwing up at 4.30 in the morning? And I then, you know, when I calmed down, I was able to say like, 
that is part of the skill of regulation. Because later we talked to her and we said, you know, this is something that could happen. Like if you eat way too much junk food, and I'm not saying you can never eat it, but when you have a lot, it could really hurt your stomach. And sometimes we throw up. And listen, it's not the last time it happened. I wish I could say my daughter was like, oh yes, now I really understand. My body can only handle a certain amount of junk food. And now I know when to stop. She doesn't always know when to stop because she's three. And so it will take time to build those skills of regulation. But I do think allowing her those opportunities where she can make decisions and she can trust her body, especially as a toddler, like they really want to be autonomous. And whenever we're able to give them that space to do it, it's really helpful in letting them build long-term skills as long as it's safe. And I would say again, overall, it is safe. It's not great for your long-term health. We know there are real health risks that come from eating a lot of you know, excess amounts of junk food, but I know that's not what's happening in my family. And again, on the other side, I really think fear around food and the possibility of developing an eating disorder is much more dangerous than any food that you could be eating. So we do try. We try to incorporate those things around regulation. Again, we're totally not perfect about it, but we try. Okay. The next thing we do, number five, is we have a lot of conversations with other adults around us and around our children about our food values. Now, I want to say, when I think about people who really embody true health, when I think about someone who's really healthy and so at peace with their health and with food, they don't talk a lot about food. They're not talking about how to get 30 grams of protein or 10 grams of fiber per meal. They're just like eating intuitively and they make healthy food choices. And it's something that just kind of blends seamlessly in the background. And they really just listen to their body. I almost think of it as, you know, someone who is cold, they put on a sweater. And if they're hot, they take off the sweater. You know, they eat when they're hungry. They stop eating when they're not hungry. They eat nourishing food because it feels good. And like, that's it. It doesn't have to be this big deal. We don't have to talk about it all the time. And that's really what I want to do with my kids. Like, Outside of, you know, teaching my courses and what I do on Instagram, I don't really talk that much about food in real life because I actually don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy to constantly be talking about your food. I think that can actually lead to a really unhealthy obsession. So when other people will make certain comments to our children, I have to step into mama bear mode because like I mentioned at the beginning, people would say things to my really young daughter and I was so scared it would make an impression that she has to hide food from me. Or I could think of many times that we've been at friends' houses for a Shabbat meal or the Kiddush at shul where Eden will reach for something and people will be like, uh, are you allowed to have that? Let's go ask more. And which again might be well-meaning, but or sometimes people will be like, oh, like, don't worry, we won't tell your mommy. And I'll just say to them, you know, my kid never has to hide food from me. Please don't make comments like that around my child. And this can be really, really uncomfortable, but I do think it's necessary. Another time where we have to do this is there are definitely people who, again, being totally well-meaning, will try to bribe kids with food for certain behaviors. So if we're with certain family members or we're around friends and like, my daughter might start to lose it because she's a toddler and that's what they do. They have temper tantrums. It's normal. It's healthy. Dr. Becky says that. This is like my favorite thing from the book. She goes, healthy kids have tantrums. If they're not having tantrums, you know, that's where we start to worry. So throughout every tantrum, because I've lost count of how many we've had in the last week even. I'm just like, healthy kids have tantrums. It's a good thing. It's how they learn emotional regulation skills. But sometimes people will be like, okay, what do you want? Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want a marshmallow? Do you want a brownie? And I'm like, that's not how we calm down from a tantrum. Like if she's upset because I'm, you know, not paying enough attention to her, the way to soothe that is not to give her food. Or if she's upset because I said it's bath time and she doesn't want to take a bath, we don't bribe her with cookies to get her to take a bath. Like that to me is just not setting up a healthy relationship with food for the long term. And even though I know that I don't do that, I don't want other people doing that with my kids. Now, listen, I will not be able to protect my kids from everything that every other person says around food. We all know we have a deeply messed up society when it comes to food and the messaging and the culture around food. So as they get older, I think it's much more important to build it like from the ground up and make sure that your kids have a strong sense of self and values and they'll be able to withstand and hopefully think critically when other people say ridiculous things around food. 
But right now my kids are really young. And so that means that I do have to step in and sometimes have really uncomfortable conversations around adults saying things like, oh, you know, I I know you're trying to help. Thank you so much. We don't bribe our kids with food or thank you so much. I know you're just concerned, but my kid never has to hide food from me. She's allowed to take whatever we want when we're here. And that's it. And it's, it's, again, it could be really uncomfortable, but I think sometimes our job as parents is doing things that are uncomfortable for the sake of what's best for our kids. The seventh thing that we do is we model healthy relationships with food. I think this is so important because I see this missing for a lot of people who really want their kids to have healthy relationships with food and eat in a healthy way. And I've seen it so many times, like not, I'm not coming from a judgmental place. I really do think it's just interesting. We've been at Shabbat meals where they'll take out dessert and parents will tell their kids, okay, you can have one cookie. And then they'll sit there and eat like seven cookies. And I'm just like, that must be so confusing for the child. Like why, why would they understand that it's too much for them to eat more than one cookie when one of the parents is eating as many as they want? Like it just doesn't really make sense. And listen, I understand obviously adults do different things than kids. My daughter has seen that sometimes we will drink wine or coffee and we will not let her have those things. We tell her that that's just for adults. I think it gets a lot trickier when it comes to junk food. Like it's much harder for kids to distinguish between the all or nothing of those things, you know, like she just knows coffee is for grownups. Coffee is not for children. I think it's a little trickier when it's like cookies can be for children and you do see other kids having a lot of cookies, but like mommy or daddy could have more and you could only have this much. And we're not always consistent with it. Like sometimes you could have one, sometimes two, sometimes three, but really right now it's only one. I think that's very, very confusing for children. And part of the way that I know that kids can understand modeling is when it's consistent is because we keep kosher in our home. So from the beginning, there are certain rules that, you know, someone who doesn't keep kosher might say is really restrictive, but we don't mix meat and milk in our home. That's like a basic tenant of keeping kosher. And so if my daughter, even like from the time now with my son, you know, if he's in the high chair and I feed him chicken and then he's not taking it, I'm like, okay, you know what? I want to switch. He's not eating the chicken. Let me try giving him cottage cheese. I have to switch off everything in the high chair. I have to wipe him down. Like we don't eat those foods together. And my daughter's known literally since she's a baby, I will say those things out loud. Like we can't have meat and milk together. We can't have meat and milk together. And now if she asks, she says, I want a chicken nugget. Oh, I also want yogurt. I'm just like, well, we can't have meat and milk together. She doesn't question it anymore. She's never had a tantrum about it. She doesn't even like now she just knows. She goes, oh, like if I if I want a yogurt, I have to put away the chicken, right? I mean, we don't have her. You're also supposed to wait three hours for those who are listening who don't know about kashrut. She doesn't do that yet because she's only three. Um, but she knows, like she knows and we are always consistent. We are never, ever wavering on this. Like we're never, ever mixing meat and milk. And she just knows like this is part of our family's rules around food. And we obviously model that too. Like we keep a kosher home. Everyone who comes into our home is keeping kosher, whether they do it outside of our home or not. Like we're never mixing meat and milk together. That's just one aspect of keeping kosher. But like, again, she knows, she knows that we have separate plates for meat and milk. She knows that, you know, we sit down at the table for dinner. She knows all of these things because we model it. And so I think the more consistent that you are in modeling what you want your kids to take from you is going to make the biggest impression because we know this, right? Kids don't really do what we say. They do what we do. And most of the time, if I want my kids to do something, all I have to do is do it first. And believe me, there are times where I'm like, I'm going to meal prep and I'm going to make certain things. And I know that no one's going to eat it. So I'm just going to make enough for myself. Like let's say it's salmon. There are times where I will literally be like, I don't have energy for anyone else. I'm making pasta for the family and I'm just having one thing of salmon for me. Or like maybe there's leftovers and I plan to have this one piece of salmon. If I plan on eating that salmon just for myself, I can guarantee you my son and my daughter will both want to finish that piece of salmon. And sometimes, honestly, it's really annoying because again, I'm like, that was for me. But obviously I'm okay, more than okay with them also eating more nutritious foods. But I think getting really clear on what you want for your kids and making sure that you're modeling it more than you're talking about it is really helpful. The seventh thing that we do for up to seven out of eight is education. And this is not something we do so much just yet. It will be something we incorporate more as they get older. But of course, I think we can make healthier choices when we have the knowledge that helps us really understand what we get from our food. I feel like there are so many good accounts on Instagram about this also. Um, one that comes to mind is kids eating color. She has all these really nice infographics about, you know, talking to your kids and educating them about food 
at with different like different sentences about the food at age appropriate levels. So talking about, you know, oh, like uh, green foods give us a lot of vitamins that help make us feel good. And then as they get older, like talking about that on a higher level, a more scientific level, that's something that I definitely plan on bringing in. It's just not super relevant yet. Like maybe we've said, you know, again, those things before of like your belly feels better, we feel good and we feel stronger when we eat. But the truth is, I honestly don't even use the words healthy and unhealthy so much. It's more to me just like, we're still kind of in the stage where it's like food and non-food. So unfortunately, we have to have a lot of conversations around like we don't eat sticks or wipes or diapers or toys and, you know, those kinds of things. We're not really talking about, you know, you ha- you can have broccoli, you can't have X or Y. Like we don't do that. I don't think that's helpful in terms of educating our kids at all. Um, but as they get older and they're able to handle more nuance and just understand things at a greater level, we will bring in more education about why we value eating healthy. And, you know, that comes from both like a physical health perspective, from a Jewish perspective, there are so many pieces to it and really just always trying to anchor it back to this is what helps us feel good. We believe that this is honoring our bodies. We don't want to be wasteful with food. We believe food is sacred and it's really a gift. And that goes into number eight, which is gratitude for our foods. And this is something that is kind of just built into our life because we are religious, but we say blessings, we say brachot before and after every single meal. And we would do this even if I hadn't gone on my whole health journey, because again, it's just kind of like integrated into the fabric of Jewish life. But we say thank you, God, for the food that we have on our table and that's going into our stomachs and thank you for where it came from. And first of all, I actually just love teaching this to my kids so much. It's so cute when they're able to say the blessings on their own. Like I think there's just this level of, I don't know, call it like Jewish mother syndrome of nachas that comes when your kids say it. It's like really the sweetest, cutest thing in the world. But it's that acknowledgement that we are so grateful to have this food and it, and it is sacred and it's something that we appreciate and we don't take for granted. And, you know, my daughter and my son are definitely too young to understand that there are people out there who do not have access to food. And there have been time periods in history where there have been famines and droughts and people were really, they did not know where their next meal was going to come from for long periods of time, which I don't think they need to know about that right now. And again, that's something that maybe as they get older, we can have conversations about, but really trying as much as possible to be so grateful for the foods we eat, I think also really does help us develop an appreciation and a healthy relationship with food. So that's another, our last thing that we try intentionally to bring in. And like I said before, I'm not perfect about all of these. I definitely don't you know, always stick exactly to the DOR. I've had times where I'm like, no, really, like you should be eating this. I'm so not perfect about it. I don't think with anything we need to be perfect. I think we just need to try to keep, you know, when we fall off the wagon, let's get back on. Because what you do most of the time is what matters most when it comes to how you parent, when it comes to how you eat and how you take care of yourself. Like, Of course, I make mistakes, but I would say overall, these are the things that we're practicing. And thank God, you know, so far, listen, we're only three years into parenting, but I really hope as time goes on, this will continue. And maybe we'll do like a part two updated version of this episode later on when I have older kids who are in a completely different stage, because I know a lot of this is based off of my own experience with a baby and a toddler. Um, And it's totally different when you have a kid who's, you know, eight or 16 or adult children. And there are so many different dynamics that come into play. But I do think a lot of the, a lot of the principles here can be applied in different ways when things are age appropriate. Like you could always get your kids who are older to be involved in the cooking or take a trip with you to the supermarket. You could always increase the exposure to healthy foods around your house. Another way that I actually see that play out is when we have adult family come and visit us. They're always like, we eat things we would never eat when we come to you. And it's actually really good. Like my in-laws started making my lentil patties because they had them once when I was cooking. I was actually like doing a whole giant meal prep for myself. They're like, oh, what are these? They look interesting. We've never had lentils before. And they had the lentil patties. They're like, wait, we love these. And they started making them. Now it's also really nice because when I go visit them, they're like, we have lentil patties in the freezer. So there's always something nice for me to eat there. 
And I love just that idea of like exposing more, having a better positive relationship with food. It really does trickle out to other people in your family and even sometimes friends and people that you just spend more time with. And so that is really what I hope you gained from this episode. If there are any tips here that really resonated with you that you want to try out with your own family, let me know how it goes. I would love to hear your updates. And if there's anything that, you know, you would add to this list of like, oh, this is a tip that we do with our family that's been really nice to help cultivate a positive relationship with food. Also, let me know. I'm always looking to build my list. So send me an email, send me a DM. I love to hear from you guys. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm wishing you all the best wherever you are. Have an awesome day or night. And I can't wait to be back with you next week for another great episode. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.